0: Talk Radio.
1: Hey, welcome to The Futurist. I'm Ben Rohde. And I'm Alex Lightman. And there's Alex Lightman. And we are so excited to start this show, show number one of The Futurists. Um, this is something that we have been wanting to do for a while. And every time Alex and I get on the phone, we just have such amazing conversation, such amazing chemistry. Um, and we usually agree on the same things, and and, uh, and we, we, but whether we agree on the same things or not, we always learn something and have a fun time doing it. And um, there have been a lot of people that have been really excited about the show, too, so we said, I guess we got to do it. Um, so we want to uh, spend a little time right now just – talking about our intentions for the show moving forward. Um, and Alex and I both have some, some really good intentions, and his is better uh, better better stated, better formulated. So um, I'll go first and, and give mine, and then uh, Alex can give his, which sounds more like the scientific method, which um, is really exciting. So my intentions for this show is – to raise people's vibrations, to raise their excitement level, to um, have them listen to the show and think, wow, I can, do, I can do this. I mean, if someone like Ben can do it or someone like Alex can do it or whoever our guest is at the time, if they can do it, I can do it, um, and, and, and inspire people to do more with their lives, right? So if they wake up in the morning, listen to the show, get inspired, and go out and do something awesome to change the planet and one thing that i that i really want to get people doing is is thinking about the future thinking about the future right because when we can imagine a future a better future that works for us and when we can see it vividly and we can reach out and, and touch it almost right and that's how inspired we are by it then we can take that future and pull it into the present um, and that's how we create change, right? Not by thinking about the past. I mean, it's important to look at the past a little bit to kind of see what not to do, but growth comes from the future, right? And so um, this, is, this is where we need to be future-centric in our thinking, especially about the new world and, and the way things are going, especially in, in politics right now. Like we need to think about the future and so um, I really feel like this show is going to be getting people thinking about uh, thinking in a very future-centric way. And one of the questions I want to ask a lot is, um, uh, in regards to the future, this is, or in regards to the future, this is not, right? Because um, I mean we could, look at, we could look at facts all day long, or we could look at uh, you know, the, the the pros and cons of different political parties or people. But, you know, if we ask ourselves the question, is this the evolution of where we want our country to go? Or as a a, a people on this planet, is this where we want to go? It's often, a, you know, you kind of leave behind the... Um, uh you leave behind a lot, and it's an easy yes or no. And even if we don't know exactly what the future looks like, it's usually pretty easy to tell if, if uh, something's not the future, right? And then we can go looking for it somewhere else. So um, eventually I'd love to make this a, uh, a daily show because I know I'm going to be inspired by it. I know that, that, like right now, I feel my body vibrating I feel the hair standing up on my arms. I feel amazing. I'm excited about the show. I have no idea what's going to happen or what we're going to talk about, and I'm excited about it. And I want to have this feeling every single day when I wake up, roll out of bed, eat my breakfast, start the show, and then finish the show feeling amazing, and then going about the rest of my day creating the future. So that's my intention. Um, And Alex... I'd love to hear your amazing intentions,
0: Ben. This is almost like a like a setup because you said mine was going to be so much better, but yours was perfect. So, I could uh, <laughs> if I have to be perfect just to make it equal to yours because everything you said was was wonderful, and it uh, you speak for us both, and what's kind of amazing because oh, I thought it would take several shows for us to. Think like the other person, have a Vulcan mind meld, but I guess it's already <laughs> happened. So I'll go. I'll go to the past in order to go to the future. One of my favorite quotes about uh, about time and and relating to knowledge and our perspective is from George Orwell. His real name is Eric Blair, in, in 1984, who controls uh, the past, controls the future, and who controls the present, controls the past. And so, to some extent, this show will be about uh, the present, understanding where we've come from, uh, so that we can go on into the future. And what I find, as a, as a, I think, a successful futurist, uh, is that there are too many people projecting their ignorance onto other people and their limitations. There's um, damning somebody with low expectations, and I think that. In many cases what I want the show to do is to raise the expectations of the listeners so that they want to have a better future in the specific area the show's on. So just to talk about the format that Ben and I agreed, every show is going to have the future of X where X is an independent variable that depends on the guest. Today the show is called the future of green dot 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 is blue. The idea is that the the green economy is actually something that we should be looking at, the blue economy. We're going to be talking with our guest, Luis, about the difference between the green economy or the green greenwashing and the blue economy, which is impossible to greenwash or otherwise fake it because it's at the chemical, biological level of atoms and molecules. It's not something that you can put out a press release and show that it happened. So what I want is to give people tools – for conviviality, tools that will enable people to make new relationships, new friendships, new collaborations, and we want to have a community that emerges out of this. So one of the intentions of the show is uh, I stand with you in having the show be every Friday and then eventually be a daily show, and what we want to do is we want to make a thriving community of hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people, maybe more, who want to build a better world, who want to build a better future, who want to have clean, healthy water, clean, healthy food, exercise, uh, good thinking habits, meditation, yoga, neurogenesis, creating new uh, brain cells. Angiogenesis, new blood vessels, especially in the brain, so that you have some level of redundancy in case one of your your capillaries gets clogged with something you 've got another one servicing that part of the brain. I want to have healthy minds in healthy brains and healthy bodies and healthy families in healthy communities in healthy cities and healthy countries on a healthy planet that 's what I would like, and part of that is talking about things, but it also means collaborating and doing something and so Uh, One of the intentions that Ben and I have is to have a face-to-face get-together at least every six months. And some of you may be surprised to, to learn that we're actually in two different countries. And depending on how your geography works, you might even look at it as two different continents. So Ben is just north of the border between North and South America. He's in Costa Rica. And I'm in Santa Monica at the edge of the Pacific Rim. Uh, I'm right near the Santa Monica Pier. So this is actually an international – it's international from birth. It's international from the first minute of the show because we're first humans. So Ben and I are humans first, and we happen to be Americans, but we're Americans who have traveled a lot and have enough experiences that we care just as much about other countries as we do about the United States. And we want to have people be able to uh, participate in the show, suggest the show, be guests on the show, and ultimately tell us your successes, like where you see the future going one way and then how can we tweak it? How can we um, divert it so that it's back in a better way? And think two moves, three moves, ten moves down the chessboard. What are, uh, how, it, how are systems uh, How can we look at systems so that we can work with them better? So I want to kind of give a quick medical analogy. A doctor will go and do four things, observation, diagnosis, prognosis, and prescription. And so with observation, you just look and see what's happening. If it's a doctor, you see somebody has a rash somewhere. Diagnosis says, okay, what's, what's causing this? Oh, it's this bacteria, or it's, it's this way that you're sitting, or it's this food that you're eating, um, or it's this chemical exposure you had at work, something. So that's diagnosis. Prognosis says, well, what's going to happen if you leave it untreated? And prescription says, here's how you can make it better. So I hope in this show we can talk about how we can do that, but with the bigger pla- uh, problems that we have, global warming, pollution, um, toxicity, et cetera. And sometimes the solution is to make a difference in your local community. But the other, sometimes there are so many issues that if you really want to care for your family, you have to do what Ben did with his family and just simply move from a place that's more toxic, like California – and to some place that's less toxic, like Costa Rica. And it's a, there are we'll be talking in our next show about actually creating a community where people can go and work in harmony with the land. That's with our mutual friend David Comfort. But overall, this is a solutions-oriented show. It's an optimistic show. It's a show to make you smarter about the future, and it's a show to help people to make goals. Goals are dreams with deadlines. And goals should be smart, specific, measurable, uh, attainable, uh, relevant, and time-bounded. And so what we're going to talk about is how we can make goals for the big picture, for the areas that the show's on, but also how you can make goals for your own life. And then within this community that we hope will participate in social media, you know, through our, our the show's Facebook page and other things, we hope that people will find new friends, new lovers, new co-inventors for patents, new products. That's my intention for the show, that the show enables people to be more productive in creating the lives that they really want to live. And I think that's pretty amazing that a show can do this. Now, I have confidence this can be done because I did it before in creating a boarding school, a spiritual international boarding school in New Mexico with my partner, Chris Griscom. It was called the Najoni School for Global Consciousness, and it was part of the Najoni Institute. And one of the cool things about this, uh, that we did was that I could say, hey, I've got kids from 25 countries who want to meet you, Senator, meet you, Congressman, meet you, Governor, meet you, uh, Chairman of the Olympic Committee. Uh, so Andrew Young was the Chairman of the Atlanta Olympic Committee, and we went out and spent eight hours with him talking about how Atlanta got the Olympics to come. stuff. So, so when you have a radio show, this radio show, as it builds its audience, will be able to get people who are harder and harder to get their time. And at some point, I'd like us to be able to get heads of state. That's another intention, is to build an audience that then people will see it worth their time with many, many, many other demands on their time, including you know fulfilling their own heavy-duty responsibilities. But I want to have some of the most influential, powerful people in the world come on, and then uh, talk, to our, talk to our audience, talk to our listeners, and to make a difference in the world by exposing them to this audience and this kind of philosophy and ethos. So that's, that's what I'd like, Ben, in addition to wow. everything you just said.
1: Wow. Mind-blowing. I love it. The mind meld is complete. So I have questions for you coming up. I have comments. Um, sure. Well, go ahead. So, this
0: is, this is so, our time.
1: So the first thing that comes to my mind is a conversation that I had with a mutual friend, Ken Rokowski, um, and he said to me, uh, you know, "I was telling him about uh, com- you know, about uh, having all of them come to Costa Rica, you know, creating a metal trip to Costa Rica." And he, he oh, just said, "Just a quick he- aside,
0: metal Metal is media, entertainment, technology alpha leaders. It's a group that our friend Ken Rakowski set up around 2000, 2001." that's grown to include hundreds of people from mainly from Los Angeles uh, but who get together and have great speakers and do hikes every
1: Sunday. It is an amazing group. Um, Really, really mind-blowing group uh, of, of, I would say, futurists. Um, So the last time I was there, he said to me, he said, I know the the president of Panama. Um, I can introduce you if you like. (laughs) He said, (laughs) he said once a year... I rent a 30-foot yacht, I pay a million dollars, and I rent this yacht for a week, and we get together several of the brightest minds um, and, and a world leader, and we solve at least one of their biggest problems, right? And he said this to me like a month or two ago, and it blew my mind, right? And he said, so what's, what's Costa Rica's biggest problem? And, like, I mean, it, it, like, talk about a mind-expanding conversation, right? Like, if you, could, if you could really just get together a few of your most amazingly genius and future-thinking friends to solve a world problem, how much good karma is that, <laughs> right? How much, I mean, like, like being able to, like, like, go to sleep after that thinking, wow, I, like, Costa Rica is a country I love. And it's not perfect, right? They do a lot of things really well, and it's not perfect. Um, so I love what you just said about wanting to get uh, heads of state on the show and solve some of their biggest problems. Because I told, I completely believe that we can do that, and we know a lot of heads of state uh, in Costa Rica that I would love to. That I'm sure they would love to, to be on the show. Right. So my question for you, Alex, as a futurist that has had extreme um, success in shaping our world is um, what's the balance in being so far future thinking that nobody's ready for it, right? Like I, I know people that have, you know, they're like, I've been talking about this for 40 years. Well, yeah. People weren't ready 40 years ago, right? So what's the difference between, like, thinking way too far ahead and thinking, thinking just far enough that it's relevant and, and crazy futuristic at the same time? Like, I, you sent me a link the other day of um, something that Elon Musk wrote about um, his, plans, his plans for 10 years in the future, right? And he just accomplished uh, what he wrote 10 years ago, right? That's beautiful, So how how do you reconcile being a futurist and at the same time not getting stuck thinking too far ahead?
0: There's no such thing as thinking too far ahead. I have a book on my shelf from Damian Broderick about the year 1 million. And it's filled with essays of people who don't have a problem getting up, putting on their pants, having some breakfast, keeping their agreements, and still being able to sit down and write a story about what the world will be like 1 million years from now. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, look at the galaxy itself. It takes light, which is going 300,000 kilometers per second. It, uh, it takes light, 100,000-plus years, to get around the galaxy. And we ourselves have just completed a road trip. We as mammals were we, we started 220 million years ago, and we just finished one round trip around the black, giant black hole. With eleven million solar masses, we just made one road trip around that. so we have just to be able to talk about where we live, where we live is a galaxy where we and that galaxy itself takes two hundred and twenty uh, million years to do an orbit. Um, it might be as long as two hundred and forty million years, but then again, mammals might be here that that long we uh, mammals and dinosaurs appeared at the, around the same time. The dinosaurs held sway until about 65 million years ago. So just to be able to talk about where we came from and where we are, to talk about ourselves as time and space, we have to use millions of years. So it's okay to think that far ahead in the future. For instance, I can tell you what the eventual color of Earth will be. You ready? Do you want to know Hmm. what color it will be? Pink. Please. Do you know why it's going to be pink? It's going to be a pink planet.
1: Do you know why? Uh, some kind of gas will make it pink?
0: Nope, because you have uh, this form of life that loves salt. Uh, They're called halophiles, and the halophiles are red. And so as the earth gets hotter, the the water will boil away. We'll have less and less water, and so Mm -hmm. what will be left will be more and more salty, and the only animals that will be able to survive are the halophiles, and they're going to leave behind redness. So at one point, someone will look at the planet, it'll look like dune, Arrakis, a a world with no visible (laughs) water, but it will all be pink sand where all the halophiles live. So I can now tell you that in our conversation, and it doesn't mean that we can't talk about things that are here and now, but it's fun to be able to, to say, what things do we know about the future? And I could tell you tens of thousands of things about the future because they're predictable based on knowing physics... Math, chemistry, biology, markets, you know, the degradation of things over time. And so there's no, there's no such thing as thinking too far ahead in the future. However, there is um, driving ahead of your headlights. There is driving too fast for your reaction time. So let's just say that you know that if you're going 100 miles an hour in your particular car, that it will take you 15 seconds to stop. And you know that your reaction time is 500 milliseconds you know all these things you don't want to be doing that at night on curvy roads because you might hit a deer and that could kill the deer it might even kill you and your family so you want to drive more safely because you've taken into account the local road conditions the key things is to know uh, enough to predict the future to be safe and to know enough not to make promises that you can't keep without adding in some contingency saying, I'm making these three assumptions. If any one of these assumptions changes, then my prediction, my, prediction, my projection is completely wrong. Right. Right. And that's part of the problem with politics is that as Alvin Toffler uh, and Heidi Toffler uh, have shown us, there are certain things that happen very, very fast. They're happening, you know, a hundred miles an hour, like technology change, um, there's yes. there's sort of a, a of a kind of a hierarchy of of change. It's uh, the Frank Feather model. D step. Um, demographic changes lead to social changes. Social changes lead to technological changes. Technological changes lead to economic changes, and economic changes lead to political changes. But then. After the political changes, even slower are legislative changes and judicial changes and changes in language and changes in attitudes and changes even at the very, very slowest end are changes in religions. And you could even have uh, a taxonomy of velocity of change within religions. And so there are some religions where people think that it's holy to adhere to the same language and same thinking and same kind of values of 1,400 years ago. And there are other people who have religions, um, both that exist in, and in science fiction, where the value is in being willing to change. So there's a really good book about the future um, called The Stochastic Man. And in it, one of the characters follows the religion of transit. And in transit, you always have to keep changing things. But this person, in following the religion of transit, got the ability to make predictions, and he became a very powerful political figure because he knew how to make uh, policy recommendations at exactly the right time. For instance, all oil tankers should be double-hauled, and they should require an additive that would turn the oil to gelatin, so that if it had an oil spill, the oil would be all in one clump, and it wouldn't go spreading out. Now, what's funny is that this was seen as science fiction. But in fact, if any one politician in America had read that book and said all the oil tankers have to be double hauled and you have to have gelatin and we have to have this for oil rigs as well, you know, we might not have had so many oil spills. And that person would look like a bloody genius. So knowing about the future, having the right prediction that can turn into the right policy at the right time can put somebody on the path to stardom.
1: I love it. I love it. Pretty interesting. So good. It's such a, such a perfect answer. Um, And one of the things that, that um, really for, for for a lot of years held me back from claiming what the future is supposed to look like. Right. And, and saying, well, I know that it's supposed to be this way um, is was the variables, right? I mean, there's so many variables, like what if, you know, that, that, uh, animal or being or whatever it is it is going to make everything pink get you know goes extinct, and now it 's not going to be pink anymore right so like it 's just the variables and, and I, I love that you, you brought it up um, uh, that if this this, or this happens, and this will no longer be true but I remember uh, I had an economics class in high school, and the teacher spent probably thirty to forty five minutes like breaking down um, all the different ethnicities in, uh, in the U.S. in order to explain why there would never be um, a, a president that wasn't a white male, right? And oh, hilarious. I, made, oh, yeah, I know. He, he made a really, really good, good presentation about it, and I was like, oh, yeah, that makes complete sense. It is impossible, just based on voting numbers, for there to be a president other than a white male president. Now I get why there have only been white male presidents, right? So then when Obama was elected, I was like, whoa, what he did, what, the, what he failed to, to recognize in his expert equation, scientific equation was people getting pissed off at white men, <laughs> right? And, and getting pissed off at the status quo and at everything else. Right. So, um, well, and also yeah, not taking
0: into account it. immigration and not taking into yes. account the fact that there are people behind the scenes who, who want to make things happen. But let's talk about what it means to be a futurist. I call myself a futurist because I earned it. I've published over two million words about the future, starting with the cover story of the Futurist magazine at June 1985. And that article was called Pixel Power, the Graphic Revolution in Computers. And what wow. I said is that graphics are going to be a future language, that people, that the main difference between computers then that we'd all grown up with, keeping in mind that computers only really started to come into use in government in the 40s and in big business in the 50s and in medium-sized businesses with time-sharing, you know, timesharing companies used to be the darling companies of Wall Street. It's very funny to think of that. And then we had, you know, the personal computer in the 70s. But basically, we had uh, – there are all kinds of people who made predictions. Now, we laugh at the idea that Thomas J. Watson, uh, Jr., said, well, five computers – ought to be enough there's like a world market for five (laughs) computers right it seems idiotic but this is what's important about futurists it's that we need to have a bunch of people who are not so in awe of the emperor that they won't point out he has no clothes so the job of the futurist is to be a part of a community of practice where one futurist will say based on my knowledge and my credibility running ibm or whatever i say this and somebody else needs to with full respect look at that and then disaggregate the reasoning of it look at you have to explain your reasoning just like with with your programming we don't want code that we can't review it and look for bugs and go aha i see where you made the wrong assumption here and so that's incorrect so for instance uh, can we can we start talking about Donald Trump Ben okay uh ben uh, is in costa rica and costa rica doesn't have the same kind of bandwidth and things that we have in america so i'm going to presume that ben will be back on in a moment so the idea is that uh within the whole idea of projections you have this community of practice where one person will make a projection and then somebody else will come in and say well no you got it wrong here and make a different prediction so going back to this whole model of the D-STEP demographic changes, what's really important is for us to know how many people there are in the world and how many people there are in each country and what the fertility rate is. So uh, the replacement rate is 2.1. As far as I know, there are 215 nations, and the one with the most stable population is Cuba. It's been pretty uh, stable at, two, uh, at 11.2 million people. They have a slightly higher fertility rate than the US, but they also have people who uh, leave the country, So it's, and they don't have much uh, immigration. And so we can make a lot of predictions about Cuba. We can also see that uh, from energy patterns, that Cuba had its peak oil moment in the 90s. We know that they had a certain amount of oil and that they started using less of it. This caused them pretty extreme economic hardship, but they passed through it. And as a result, they have a sense of how to use energy a little bit uh, better, and there are lessons in how to, how to do that. For instance, having a lot of people on bicycles, people walking around. And then we can say, okay, what are the, what's the impact of having less food, fewer calories? Well, one thing that's really interesting to me about all that, as we're looking at life expectancy, so part of demographics is life expectancy, the average person in the United States uh, lives for 68 years and nine and a half months. And that's exactly the uh, lifespan of somebody who's living uh, in Cuba. And so basically we're having – we have – in the United States, $13,000 per year in medical spending, and in Cuba, they spend $200 per year. Well, why is it that we're spending so much money more in the United States than they are in Cuba? And the answer is in part, that Cuban doctors are less expensive, et cetera. But the really big difference is that Cubans eat less, they're less obese, Um, in fact, they have a very, very low incidence of obesity in the country. It's just a, a couple percent instead of 38%. And the incidence of overweight is just a couple percent. And in the United States, it's 78%. And they also walk, they're walking around. When you, If you go to uh, Havana and you walk around the Malecon, which is the seawall, it extends for about 10 kilometers as far as I can recall. I, I ran it several times when I was researching my book on Cuba. But basically, the the whole wall is filled with people strolling and hanging out and walking, and that's what they're doing on any given evening if they're living in um, in Havana. Uh, ben, are you back? I'm hoping yeah. you're back. Oh, good. Hello. Welcome back. So, yeah, I'll stop talking because <laughs> I was great. Right.
1: Uh, awesome. I'll, I'll have to start. We'll have to get a uh... – uh, a good system going for when I get back. I'll say, mm-hmm, yep, okay, sounds good. Love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just say, yeah. I
0: something like that. <laughs>
1: cool, cool. Um, awesome. Well, it's actually, I, I, wanna...
0: I, I admit, since since this is a, a show about truth, um, I admit to when I was talking and then you weren't there, I went, oh, my God, what if I'm the one who's cut off, <laughs> and what if you're cut off at the same time I'm cut right. off, and I had this sense of free-falling through space and panic. <laughs> So I'm, just, I'm we glad we survived.
1: We hope, hope I'm still on. Yeah, yeah. that's the, 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 the well, benefit of having a, a guest on the show is that if one of us gets cut off, the other one will be able to say, no, I hear you, you're still on.
0: <laughs> oh, good. All right. I like it. So with, yes.
1: with with no further ado, I would love to introduce Luis Alberto Martin Del Campo Gomez. Uh, Luis is a leader and entrepreneur in sustainable and social impact, and a prominent writer and speaker on sustainable futurism and human nature. His personal mission is to transform the way we relate to each other and our planetary home by making what is best for people and nature accessible to all. While finishing college, he founded the first blue economy company in Mexico, Spora, inspired by uh, the author of The Blue Economy, Um, And in 2014, he wrote The Dream of Mexico in 2013, proposing an achievable vision of a society in harmony for Mexico. Um, And I just, I really want to thank you for being on our first show, our premiere show. Welcome, Luis. Hello, Ben. Buongiorno, everyone. Thank you for having me. Oh uh, yeah, straight from Mexico. I love it. This is, I mean, the first show is an international show, right? We've got uh, yeah, we Alex got and... Calif-
0: California, um, which means uh, ca- from Californics, the hot oven, and we have Mexico, and we, we have, have Costa Cancun. Rica. Yes, good. Yeah. Right on. Great. So we, have, yeah. we have
2: so much sea going on, so much
0: regeneration and delicious,
2: delicious water.
0: Oh, yeah, that's good. good. Oh, that's right. It's three C's if we call it Cancun, Costa Rica, and California. Wonderful.
1: <laughs> oh, that's so cool. And like, I'm so excited to have Luis. I'm glad, Alex, that you, you recommend, recommended having him be on the, the first episode because what you're doing and what you are talking about and teaching about and speaking about is exactly what Alex and I and David and, and all of our crew are creating with the RISE community. And... Um, and I don't know that we're doing it as intense as you would following the blue economy to a T. So that's what I'm, I'm I'm excited about hearing from you is is uh, is what's what's going on with all that. It's exciting. Um, all right. Well. So just first a, question. Getting, yeah. 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 Go go ahead. Take it away. What what is the blue economy and and what are your thoughts on it and the importance of it.
2: Well, just as you two were giving your, your, um, introduction and like the intent of the show, uh, well, I thought it was amazing how, uh, the whole intent is focusing not only on the futuristic vision, but also on actionables, on, on the things that we can do today to make this future real. Because it's, it's one thing to, to dream, but like Alex said, uh, turning it into something with goals and deadlines makes it, uh, achievable, right? Right. And, and so, um... I think it's a good synchronicity that for the first show, talking about this kind of thing, uh, we're going to be talking about the future of sustainability. Um, Considering myself a futurist in sustainability, thanks to the blue economy and thanks to being in contact with just so many bright minds like Alex and you, Ben, uh, it just gives one a a broader perspective of what can be done. And with uh, with the future of sustainability... uh, And and considering the blue economy as as this first note uh, on the show, I think it's a a great uh, thing to include as the first uh, seedling of a topic and and a a change in in human mindset of what is needed as a shift, not only outside, not only in the conditions uh, of the world, but in ourselves. Uh, Like considering this, um, let's say the world, is a reflection, like the outside world is a reflection of our inner state. And we have created a world that is based on this linear thinking and this extractive uh, approach towards our relationship with the planet and with everyone else. And so uh, the, the kind of thinking that, that goes into the philosophy of the blue economy is exactly uh, an antidote to this kind of thing. Uh, and what goes on, the blue economy is, Basically, about relationships and about efficiency and about collaboration, so we're not even going into like the technical aspects and and into the more uh, like concrete applications first and foremost it 's a shift in how we see ourselves uh, in the world and how we relate to everyone in it so uh, for example, it goes into biodiversity, it goes into how we use resources and how we can inspire ourselves. Uh, Thanks to seeing nature with a childlike wonder, Has but been, also
1: uh, your internet connection is uh, not the best is there are to get a uh, perception and <laughs> just hello.
2: Um, hi, I'm here, uh, Ben,
0: your, your, your connection sounded very fuzzy just now. Yeah. Okay.
1: All right. So you can hear him from Alex?
0: Can you uh, hear me? You, well you were clearer before. Now you're very fuzzy. Okay. Okay. Well, Alex, can you hear me fine? I, I hear uh, Luis very clearly, so my suggestion is that we yeah, let uh, uh, Luis talk and maybe you reboot, Ben. Okay. All right. I'm going to put myself on mute. So Luis, tell, yeah. us, uh, tell us about basically about Gunter and Gunter and zero emissions and, and tell us about the five kingdoms and how passing something through one, what's a waste product for one is food to the next. Uh, can you go into that? Sure,
2: sure. Uh, like I was saying just now, uh, this is about resource efficiency and being inspired by nature. And so the blue economy considers um, like based on Gaia theory that there are five kingdoms in the world. And the way the world works is by having something that is like a waste or a byproduct of the, the functioning of one system go into uh, the, the way another one works. Like let's say you have this tree, and in order to be the strongest tree, well, you don't just take the, the nutrients from the ground and just be, be a bigger tree, because then you would dry the ground up, right? So instead, uh, the view here is that the tree gets these nutrients and then grows food and grows, like, say, fruits, and in the fall, uh, the leaves fall back to the ground, and thanks to microorganisms and to worms and to fungi and all these different uh, kingdoms, then these nutrients are broken back down and they go back into the, the earth. And so the the strongest tree is not the one that hoards all the leaves for itself in order to be bigger, but it's the one that shares and gives back and acknowledges like the natural flows that, that happen between these, these collaborative relationships.
0: So yeah? what, can you give us a couple of examples of how uh, people are using the blue economy or how they could use the blue economy? Tell us about starbucks uh coffee grounds so if um from what i understand from our conversations in mexico the coffee grounds if you just toss them on the ground are very acidic and they might make the land not so great for growing and since we're you know brewing up millions of tons of coffee beans and tossing them out uh we're going to end up with you know basically scorched earth like once upon a time there was this empire of carthage that was able to produce Hannibal and his elephants and take on Rome, and Rome was able to beat them. And then they salted the earth around Carthage, which is now in Tunisia, and it's still not been able to uh, have its former agricultural productivity. So coffee grounds are like that. But you figured out a brilliant way to turn garbage into hamburger plants. Tell us about that. How? What, was, what did you do? And, uh, you know, it was a kind of a, a very interesting uh, experiment that mixed citizen science and entrepreneurship together in a brilliant way. Tell, tell us what you did. Well, yeah, like you say, uh,
2: it turns out that coffee is just so wasted. Uh, there's more than 99% of the biomass being tossed into the earth every day, um, both from the plantations that make the coffee and then the coffee grounds that come out from all the coffee shops and everything you do at home. And so this this makes no sense. Like coffee is one of the most, uh, like the second most um, traded commodity in the world, just behind oil. And uh, it's 99% wasted. This this makes no sense. And as it turns out, yeah, coffee is is acidic for the ground. It upsets both the microorganisms and the worms and makes it uh, not the best additive to use for the ground, even though you would... Or normally think that it's uh, organic so it just might go well with Earth, right? Uh, and so, uh, reading about the blue economy and and reading about fungi and reading about how, how these five uh, kingdoms connect, well, it turns out that these coffee grounds that usually have like no use and people end up just throwing them away and some companies use them to be burned, uh, there's so much more that can be gotten from the coffee grounds. First of all, uh, you can use this uh, to grow mushrooms and mushrooms are a huge source of delicious protein and uh, so just from there you have a huge opportunity not just to to make local jobs available and to make uh more food more easily accessible to everyone but also to make something that looks amazing because people it, it's like a magic trick you know uh we made uh with spora uh, a mushroom kit as a as an example of how this, this blue economy works. And people were like, really? I mean, I'm seeing mushrooms come out of this little box that has coffee grounds and mushroom roots inside? I mean, how is that even possible? And, and kids love it because it, it, it's something amazing to, to see like, just life growing out of something that used to be thrown away. It's seeing the value of life in, uh, and how things continue to go on um, it, it's like learning that waste is just a human construct, right? A, a human concept. Uh, and so uh, going back to, to how this connects to to something that can be applied uh, in different ways uh, as a company or as a, as a project that these, these kinds of projects with the coffee are going on all around the world. Uh, there's hundreds of different tiny startups in different countries from France to Indonesia to Malaysia to Zimbabwe, uh, to England and many other places, and um, how it works is that since you have like the coffee waste coming from the from the coffee shops, what you can do is just pick up this this, this coffee and be used as a way to grow the, these mushrooms locally. and then the waste from growing these mushrooms can be used uh, as food for animals or as compost for a biodigester that generates energy, so it feeds back into the system. So this thinking and connections uh, gives a broader uh, capacity. It's like thinking in economies of scope instead of just economies of scale by broadening the horizon. And uh, it's not just about food, what can be done with with coffee, but there's so many other applications. Like, for example, from coffee grounds, I don't know if you knew this, but you could make uh, textiles.
0: Wow. Well, if 100%. you're asking, I, I didn't know that you could make textiles from coffee. <laughs> yeah. Do they give you more? Cool. Hey, hey, I'm a runner, and I want to run faster and longer. Can you make me some co- <laughs> of some clothes from coffee that get me continuously the buzz I get from drinking coffee, but it's <laughs> just, absorbed look, just, through my skin asmodically. The, the soles I, of
1: your feet just absorb the caffeine?
0: Oh, check it out. Well, I, I wasn't thinking I, I, the soles of my feet because those are those are socks. I'm thinking more like my shorts, you know, taking it in through my – through my, my, uh, my glutes, you know, because you're doing a lot of work with your glutes and your hamstrings. So how about some coffee, uh, coffee shorts that will give me caffeine coffee through my shorts. skin, right to the well, muscle?
2: Well, we need to figure that one out. But what, what there is available well, today is like, imagine T-shirts that are made with this textile that has coffee polymer in it. And so it helps you to stay dry. And it also helps you to not stink after running. So wait, you don't. Good. You wouldn't. You wouldn't wait. Why wouldn't you stink? Because the coffee has like this uh, this active uh, functional chemistry that neutralizes odor. So imagine socks made out of this textile. So when you take them off, when you get home, your girlfriend doesn't have to complain about your stinky socks.
0: Wow, this is amazing. <laughs> I want it. I, I actually have received that complaint. <laughs> yeah. So very, very
1: useful. No, very because funny. I'm like
0: working out. I'm working out at least twice a day, and I'm taking two or three showers. But you know, it's like, wow, this is really good news. So, so who has so these the clothes, that, and where do we buy Alex, them?
1: The way that first of all, the way that Alex explained the blue economy to me yesterday um, was he said that the waste of of one um, kingdom uh, kingdom becomes the food for another, and then once it Once it goes through two kingdoms, it becomes edible again, right, or usable again. By the original
0: kingdom that, yeah, so we could take a poop, and it could go through bacteria and then through fungi, and then it could be something we could eat again in the form of the mushroom.
1: Yeah, right. So That sounds like what this is through the shirt is we're using it. It, The shirt is transmuting the stench and the sweat, and, and and then can you wring it out and drink it? (laughs)
0: <laughs>
1: wow, that would be
0: amazing Yeah, I see these, these posts from Dave Asprey Like talking about how know, to make see, a perfect the next you know, level
1: of bulletproof coffee
0: Yeah, exactly we Basically, on your,
1: your morning run <laughs> yeah, But yeah. it might
0: even be that somebody else Like I have people tell me quite often And this is true Many people who know me say Oh my God, can I bottle up your energy? And in the future I'll have a good answer It's like, no, but you can wring out my shirt And have the coffee made of my sweat
2: <laughs> I don't know how good that might taste. We need to try something.
0: You know something what someday. I found? What I found with, with um with the scent. I used to, when I had my company Charmed, which is the pioneer of consumer level wearable computing. I employed a woman named Jenny Tillotson, who had a Ph.D. Uh, from a British university in I don't know what you call it, but it, I thought of it as smellology. And I always loved that thing, that phrase from the Future Simpsons episode where they said, "Smell you later." Which, Because basically you can lo- know so much through scent. You can tell if you're sensitive enough or you have the right apparatus, whether somebody is fertile, whether they have schizophrenia, yes. whether they have AIDS. It all comes out in your scent and or your breath. Well, that's and what so I was going to say. I've had, I've had people have wildly different reactions to my particular scent. I had a woman once, and the U.S. government helped me a lot, and I said, why are you helping me? And she said, well, you stood behind my desk looking at my computer, and I smelled you, and it made me go crazy, and so I just wanted to be around you so I could smell you. This is a true story. So, <laughs> Yes. Um, and, but, you know, so the, the, anything that can actually go and enable us to change our, our scent or neutralize it can be very, very powerful. That's amazing. It might even get some people who are really have sensitive noses. I tend to be around women who have really, really sensitive noses. Um, like they can't even. They, they they don't want to pump their own gas because the scent is so bad that they can't. They don't want to get out of the car during. It. Now maybe they're just saying that, but I said you know I get it from perfume or the smell of certain dogs if they've been washed and they have the little you know wet dog smell. But this is this is kind of amazing. Let let me pause though because I don't want to fill. Our, our radio show with things where we're having kind of an insider language. I want to make sure this is part of the whole make the complex comprehensible part. So when we're talking about kingdoms, let's be clear that we're talking about five kingdoms, plants, animals, bacteria, fungi, and algae. So each of these eats something, eats, eats the waste products uh, of the other community. Like one of these communities is eating the waste products of one or more of the other uh, kingdoms, that that's what we're talking about here. So, Luis, yeah. um, where is the blue economy going? I know I, I remember Gunter saying it's he's going to create hundred million jobs with a hundred business plans. You know, I mean, he made statements that are so bold, so powerful, and they're the kind of thing that I would think that Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or other people who want to create jobs, 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 especially in a country which has so many environmentalists. I mean, I'd say in America, depending on how you count it, at least 50 to 150 million people are environmentalists. So something that would create jobs while cleaning up America would seem to be something that would get bipartisan support. Whatever happened to those business plans and, and how many blue economy jobs have, has Gunter uh, and, and his allies like you, h- how many jobs have you guys created and how many will you create? Well, uh, a specific number of how many we've created so far, uh, I don't have it right
2: now. I definitely will look it up for you and, and post it. Um, but as to where this is going, I know there are so many new projects popping up all over the world constantly. Like I mentioned, like there's so many new ones uh, with just the Coffee, Coffee to Mushrooms initiative because it's something that is so widely available. And um, there's also things coming up like, I don't know if you've heard of Las Gaviotas, for example. This is an amazing example of a community uh, that is fully sustainable that was invented within a, 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 what used to be a savanna in Colombia. So this one would be very interesting for, for David Comfort and the upcoming show. Uh, as okay, another, so let example. me
0: let me just spell that out so people can awesome. can Google it if they want. L-A-S-G-A-V-I-O. O-T-A-S? Yes, yes. Las Gaviotas. Okay, Las Gaviotas. Okay, yes. great. So well, tell us about this community. What What's it like? It's amazing. It's, it's a
2: great example of how these five kingdoms connect and make something out of, out of what was usually, well, formerly very little. This was a place in Colombia, um, and it was just a savanna. It was abandoned. There was nothing to grow there. There was just... Know, some tall grasses, and nobody paid much attention to it. They considered it to be of very low value, and scientists considered that there's nothing to do with this. So they just left it there. And um, well, part of the whole thing of the, the, the blue economy seeing the, pos- the possibilities and potential where other people see nothing. By I love seeing
0: it. Connections.
2: It's, so they're it's basically making-
0: alchemists. They're turning lead into gold. Yes,
2: yes. yes. It's making something out of nothing in many cases, and it's, it's doing more with less.
0: And so I love it. They- uh, well, this is my definition. I did the White House National Innovation Plan, and they didn't have a definition of innovation. And after, uh, after looking at all the, talking to all these people in government who said we don't have one, my definition of innovation is doing more with less measurably. So good, for, good on you. This is where innovation comes from. Please continue.
1: Yeah, this is really cool. Really great.
0: And
2: so the the first step they took, and one of the important things to consider here is that uh, it's it's all about action. It's a, it's about not focusing on on just making these uh, expectability analysis and plans and things. It's about okay, I see this, I I'm gonna try this, uh, these these uh, tests and see where it goes. And so the first they did is okay, there's a, a tree that
0: very present and. Sorry, uh, Luis, could you repeat that last sentence? I, I couldn't hear it, and maybe some of our listeners couldn't also. Sure. Uh, so the first thing they did
2: was uh, they took the this kind of tree that is very resilient and uh, uses very little nutrients to grow. And so they started planting these kinds of trees uh, after buying up this, this plot of land. And just just to start, just to see, okay, let's see if something grows here. So they started planting all these trees and uh oh well, the trees grew you know, like 10 years later right so you have now a bunch of trees and what happens when you have tree cover
0: well well you have, have shade in- and then you can grow plants that don't uh, don't have ex- uh, direct exposure to sunlight and they don't have as much wind uh hitting them
2: yeah right, but also
0: unless
2: uh, you're having shade uh, you have a cooler atmosphere right there like a microclimate and so okay in a place yeah. that was once arid, there's now rainfall. And so having mm. rainfall and having shade cover and having uh, well, these, these variables that are now active, then biodiversity starts kicking in. Like other beings start being attracted to this place. So now you have other kinds of grasses and fungi and little animals and things. And with the increased uh, rainfall, then what used to be arid now has a running stream. And more running streams. And so, continuously more water is coming in, and more connections are being made, more biodiversity is being uh, generated. And so, down the line, uh, you have today a community that is using the sap from these trees to generate turpentine, which is a renewable energy source. Uh, so, basically, they have free fuel, and then they have free water to grow their crops. And since the entire system is integrated, their their uh, earth is very nutritious, so they can grow all kinds of things.
0: And that's so fa- fantastic. Uh, what what kind of tree was it? Do you remember the the species of the tree that was planted?
1: Oh,
0: no, no, but okay. I will look it up for you. Okay, I want so to now just is add this, one. Is
1: this, is this an entire community that's like completely running off the blue economy? Yeah. Um, Theories like, like I mean, from start to finish, from the the waste from the people going into, like I mean, it's like start to finish, it's it's fully functional. And is this the Correct. only one? Are there more?
2: Wow. Uh, it's it's one that was made specifically with this design in mind. Um, I know there's potentially others on the way, but I'm not at much liberty to discuss this now. Um, but this is one that's been designed to do this. And there are other examples, like the El Hierro Island in Spain. And fully integrated, growing mushrooms, uh, growing food, having free water for their citizens. And then the excess water that they have, they can then sell to other communities nearby. So they have an inflow of, of cash like a cash flow coming in from selling renewable energy sources, they have water and they have food, and so people started moving into this place naturally. And so, how does this connect to a bigger uh, micro, uh, a bigger scene? Because you think like, oh, this is an isolated thing uh, that just self-sustains. Well, imagine you were to go to your uh, to your local store in Santa Monica, for example, and you have two options or several options of water, uh, water bottles in your, in your store. And one of them is the typical Nestle water bottle, and um, there's other like local brands. And then you have like Las Gaviotas water. And it turns out that if you spend your dollar on the, the regular bottles, well you just spent a dollar on water bottle, you made plastic waste and whatever, you spend it buying water from Las Gaviotas, then your dollar is going directly into reforesting, it's going directly into carbon sequestration, it's going directly into increased biodiversity. Basically, you drink water and you generate more water because of the rainfall that comes down from the trees that are planted to continue the process because every time uh, somebody is buying water, they're planting more trees. So it's a self-regenerating and self uh, like a, a feedback loop of sorts.
1: So, so quick question. So I was just going to ask the question and this was, a, that was a partial answer. The question is like, what can an average person do on a daily basis? That would be like an easy uh, blue economy solution. Cause this all sounds really complicated and it sounds like a lot. And I mean, in order to, you know, use your poop to grow mushrooms, you got to set up a whole system and, I mean, that is, that is a part of what we're doing at, at RISE, at our coast project in Costa Rica. But what can we do on a daily basis, aside from using our money to support water uh, companies that are investing in the rainforest and all that? I mean, you, you took a, an amazing idea and used coffee grounds to, to grow mushrooms. So, I mean, how, how could we, like, I, I, we drink coffee. We have amazing Costa Rica coffee, how could we take these coffee grounds and grow and, and add spores? or Where do I get spores? How do I do this? Like, and, and what other kind of really cool ideas could our listeners um, do on a daily basis? I, I know one of the things that Alex uh, presented that we do on the show is to give people three action steps to be able to create their future now. Um, and so this, this would be just great advice. Like what are one or two or three things that people could do right now to start, um, being more blue?
2: Well, first of all, um, the blue economy is based around, or it, it's focused on the part of entrepreneurship. So if this sounds like something that you want to do, uh, more of in your life, then well, the first the first and obvious answer is okay inform yourself of what kind of things are happening in your community and and where do you see waste and what is abundant in your community and then design something around this. So the first the first would be an entrepreneurial step like if you want to do something new. Um, but maybe you don't want to do something new or maybe you don't uh, you don't have the time, right? Maybe you're you're in a regular job and you don't have like the chance to make a new company. Um, well, there are other ways. For there are products that you can that you can bring into your life. I just saw a, a really cool thing from uh, from these guys. I think from Spain uh, that they made uh, the the next step in evolution of the mushroom kit I created, and it's uh, it's like a, a coffee brewing machine. That once the coffee grounds are done, then the machine itself deposits them in a separate compartment where you can plant it with uh, the mushroom mycelium, the mushroom seeds, uh, and then you can use your own coffee at home to make your own mushrooms,
1: right? And so where do you that's... get those mushroom seeds?
2: The, the mushroom seeds in that particular case, I think, are included. But otherwise, uh, I know for a fact that the U.S. is also a very big producer of mushrooms, and so you can get them from several sources, including Paul Stamets. Paul Stamets is a... a Pioneer and a huge uh, authority on mushrooms in the US. And he's also just the best uh, organic mushroom seeds available. So if you're interested in the coffee, uh, mushroom coffee topic, he's the person to go to for advice and for the mushroom seeds. Um, and, and yeah, it's, I think those are like the two big uh, answers I can give you right now on that and actionable steps, like entrepreneurship. And, and seeing opportunities that are locally available. One of the ways to design something like in your daily life uh, and notice how things are uh, opportunities is to see what is abundant locally. Like, for example, uh, in Cancun, there's so much seaweed on the, on the coast, just a, a huge problem like from two years ago to now, and it just piles up on the coast. And usually we think of this as a problem. And in, instead of it being a problem, it turns out that seaweed can have like very nutritious properties. It can have also UV protective properties and uh, other things that we don't know yet that they do. And it's it's like thinking instead of seeing it as as something that is trash, we'll see it as something that you don't know the value of it yet.
1: So I think cool. In so, wait, so basically, what you're saying is get creative. Look around you. What do you have an abundance of, and then. What can you do with that? Like, I mean, I've heard of communities building homes for the homeless using like old pallets or um, old materials that people are throwing away, and now they're using it to to do really cool things in their community. Is that Correct. What you're saying?
2: Correct. Yeah. For For example, um, like talking about this, uh, like the, the evolution of green uh, as it being blue, then the green economy, economy works something like this. It basically says that what is best for the world and is sustainable is expensive. And it, it basically functions of this... ...not enough uh, resources. And, and the, what this gives us is the kind of materials like biodegradable soaps that are expensive and, and not out of reach... For uh, many people in the world, and just in reach for a few, and with side effects, and um, how you call this, um, like unforeseen consequences, because of of not thinking systemically. It's basically like taking like one problem and tackling just one problem with a precise solution, but without thinking in a broader broader sense. Side effects, and, yeah, like unforeseen consequences and externalities. People don't usually think of these things. So, thinking in systems, then you can consider like, the broader options. What the blue economy does is it takes what's abundant, locally abundant, and uses it to its advantage. It's like leveraging. And so, instead of thinking, oh, we have very little of this resource, we have to conserve it, it's, what do we have a lot of that we're not using? So, like you say, yeah, there's a lot of pallets, let's make homes. And one of the ways to design like very creative things is find one problem and then find other problems to solve at the same time. So, for example, you could be having like these pallets that also grow things. So you have these communities growing food with the homeless working these communities while having homes made out of the pallets that used to be trash. Just off the top of my head, right?
1: That is such a futuristic way of thinking.
2: And so this this is kind of what what goes on with the blue economy just a, a little bit of a, a bit of info there and uh, uh, Allison, Alex do, are you you any, do
1: you have any questions for him um,
0: I had a I had a quick comment I want to make sure that when people uh finish listening to one of our shows they feel like somebody who's been in a Holiday Inn Express commercial like the guy does brain surgery <laughs> says, you know did you go to medical school and he goes no but I uh, stayed at a Holiday Inn Express last night so I want to go back to Las Gaviotas and just give people at least a couple new vocabulary words that are crucial to being able to talk about the world in a better way. Do you mind? Is that all right? As we no, if we have that as part of our show. So the word for the day is albedo. Albedo is a measure of surface reflection. Every day, the um, well, every second, the sun fuses together 600 million tons. Of hydrogen into 595 million tons of helium, and so 5 million tons of matter go missing from the Sun. Boy, talk about weight loss. That happens every second. Every gram of that just turned into a nuclear bomb's worth of energy through the magic of E equals MC squared. Energy equals mass times the coefficient of the speed of light squared. So that radiates out, it takes a thousand years for those photons that are created to reach the surface. A photon is a measure of electromagnetic energy and pow, it, uh, it, even though it takes a thousand years to reach from the you know, about one third radius of the center of the sun to the surface, if it's going in the direction of Earth, which one billionth of the energy of the sun reaches the Earth. So just that one billionth is enough to, uh, to give us 4,000 to 6,000 times as much energy as we use. Now, there are some parts of the Earth that the sun just hits the ground. It burns through the clouds on the way down there. Clouds are, of course, carrying moisture. And then, if it hits the ground, it has high albedo. And albedo is from zero to one. So one is completely reflective. It's utterly, it reflects everything like a mirror. It goes back up again, and it hits not only the top of the clouds, but the bottom of the clouds, and it burns them away. So you have so it's very, very uncommon to ever see cloud cover over the Sahara because there's so much albedo. So wherever you see albedo, you don't have it. what um, What Luis was talking about a second ago is really, really important. And it's very important for Americans who get very analytical to realize that there is certain knowledge that comes when an expert doesn't know something. So I think it's very important to point out Luis didn't know the point the name of the trees. You know why that's important? Because it doesn't freaking matter what kind of trees. What matters is that you have organic matter on the ground or something that lowers the albedo, lowers the measure of surface reflection so the clouds don't get burned away, so it starts raining. So here's a way that you can turn lead into gold with the blue economy type thinking. If you're in a place where it's not raining, go and just assume that the albedo is very high, and figure out organic ways that you can make it darker and darker and darker, hopefully through plants so that the plants do the work, you know, nature goes and grows. But then what happens is it starts raining. And a perfect example of this is in um, Abu Dhabi and Dubai, where they started planting plants, and they just watered them. And the next thing they know, boom. They're the only place in the Gulf that's getting lots of rain, and they had to completely redo their sewer system because they were not expecting rain. Some of this stuff works way better than they think. So overall, one of the things that we need to do as humans is we need to have more plant cover. And I think I want to point out the, the best news I heard in the last two weeks was Norway taking a really hard stand, the first of 215 countries to do it, to say, «Thou shalt not cut down any trees». I mean, can you imagine if worldwide we said you can't cut down trees? That right there would do almost as much to go and to solve global warming as any number of, of of all the electric vehicles that Elon Musk will ever produce. So I just think that what's cool about this discussion is it gives us so many things that we can do. And Ben said something a minute ago, which is that I wanted to give everybody at least three things to do from each show. So one thing I'd like people who are listening to the show to do, is to go out and plant the tree. And if you don't have space in your your own property to do it, ask somebody on Facebook or through Twitter and say, hey, can I come over with you and can we plant a tree together? Because if we all planted trees, and there are seven billion of us, and if we each planted a thousand trees over our lifetime, that would mean that we would have seven and a half trillion trees. Now, not everybody's going to do this, but then again, there are tree planting drones. So, Luis, if you were going to give people three things that they could do to make the world a better place, what would the three things be?
2: First of all, um, it would be to start looking at the world as a place of opportunity so that when they go out, out, of, out of their homes in the morning, they look around and they see it with childlike wonder, like they're seeing it for the first time and just be inspired by it. I think this is something we should do every day. Just every every day when you go out of the house, feel inspired by the, by the things that are around you. And second of all, um, look at what's abundant while around you. Look at what's considered waste and just learn to see it as something else. Figure out what's going on with this and why is it being thrown away. This is an opportunity to find new ideas and to make something cool. So just invent something out of what was considered nothing. And a third point is, hmm, hmm, something practical and for the house maybe.
0: Hmm, mm, mm, mm. No, nope, I'm drawing a blank. <laughs> okay, that's your challenge. So, um, Luis, Mexico 2034. Tell us about the future of Mexico and tell us about how the relationship of the United States and Mexico would be under a Hillary Clinton presidency and under a Donald Trump presidency.
2: I like that question, an and which extremely is a complex future? question. This
0: is an extremely complex question. Man. Yes, but you're a genius, and you're our first guest, and I want this to be a classic show, and I want us to go in this show where other people don't go. Now, obviously, and Ben and about, I have respect and affection. Uh, yeah, and obviously, Ben and I have respect and affection for for Mexico and Mexicans because. A Mexican is our first guest on our first show, and, you know, as you can tell, I know 11,000 people, and Ben knows thousands of people. So of all the people in the world, we chose you, and that's out of respect. And I thank you this deeply is, for that. Sure. Well, because we are talking about how to make the world be- uh, a better place. This is wonderful. So so first of all, um, what, how, tell us about Mexico 34. And um I was just told by a person who worked for me twenty years ago on Facebook yesterday that I am the most arrogant and self congratulatory person on Facebook, which I found hilarious. So I'm going <laughs> to embrace myself I'm gonna embrace the fact that I am the most now I'm the most arrogant and self congratulatory person in all of of radio and say, <laughs> Where did you get the original idea to do Mexico twenty thirty four? Tell us <laughs> Hmm.
2: Considering that question, what, do, what, what, what would be like the, the natural answer to that?
0: Hmm. Well, Obviously, it
2: came from you. It came from, it came from a great conversation we had a couple of years ago.
0: Yes, yes, yes. yes.
1: <laughs> yes. So, please, you know, tell us you know, about
0: this wonderful, wonderful book that I inspired. <laughs> here, here you are, planting seeds in people's brains.
2: Nice. So, this book came out of a conversation we were having about renewable energy, first of all. And uh, it, I remember it was a Friday, and in the morning I was groggy. And since you are uh, a person who lacks the capacity, you told me very early and told me, "Just Luis, here's a question: What does your dream Mexico look like 20 years from now? Just consider that renewable energy is something that is being heavily pushed forward. Run with it." And I spent the next the next. Uh, 20 hours of the day just mulling over it and talking to friends and just thinking about it like like if it had been a homework assignment. But it, it, just, it struck a very deep chord. And when I came home, uh, just feeling this intense energy, I sat down and started typing. And a couple of hours later, the essay was born through me. And, uh, yeah, there it is. And the book starts with your idea. It starts with this, what would happen if we had renewable energy 100% right now or pushing towards that right now and it builds up from there just using these connections and ideas and what happens is well having renewable energy it gives us the capacity to make so many new things more efficiently you could start with having more efficient food production and then the autonomous uh, automobiles working with wi-fi electricity instead of cables and just make everything more efficient and having this enables the like the build up of so many other industries, and so it turns from a place that is considered today a third world economy, dependent on oil, and is dependent on imports of uh, of fertilizer and imports of food. I mean, come on, Mexico is the place of chili, of, of you know chiles and jalapenos, and we import chiles from India. I mean, that makes no sense. So. Uh, having these all these capacity to to make more out of what we have currently is is what is detonated to having more renewable energy, and so Mexico evolves from this place of scarcity and with people not collaborating and always stepping over each other, and it turns into a place of plenty. And how does it do it? Well, first of all, uh, yeah, we we talk about the technical aspects of this in the in the uh, essay. Of, of different technologies and things from blue economy applications to uh, to other things uh, from the future, right? And But there's also a very important aspect, and this is the transformation of people themselves. Because like I was saying uh, at the beginning, the world outside is a reflection of how we are inside. And the kind of place we built Mexico to be is a place where people never collaborate, are always seeing how how to get one up over each other, and it's just so conflicting. So what needs to happen is a transformation of the psyche as well. By having all this abundance nearby and having it shown in in, the world because of renewable energy, because somebody took a bold step forward and collaborated with the government and with entrepreneurs and with businessmen and with investors and with like social organizations and NGOs, you have a base starting point from which to detonate this this change in the psyche. And so people evolve into being people that learn to live in abundance and learn to live in collaboration and learn to live in looking out for each other and in realizing that we all live in an ecosystem. We're, we're not apart from nature. We are a part of nature. And... Thanks to this, Mexico evolves into this ecosystem that also exports energy and exports food and is generating more with less. And so, well, you asked what would a, a, a Mexico in in the future look like with Hillary or Donald Trump? I have no idea how they might look. It's a very complex well, and just, very confusing world. With,
1: let's just start with looking at okay, if, if there's a Trump presidency and he does what he says, there's a giant wall. And I mean, I I feel like, I feel like like, whether the wall is effective or not, isn't the point. I mean, what do you feel like that says about um, what do you you feel like that says in terms of Mexico America relations and um, and all that? I think
2: it says that that there's, uh, he is not recognizing the importance of, of this two way street relationship. It's like thinking right. he's on an island and uh, like he's uh, or like America alone in the world and can do it on its own. And it, it would be like a reflection at, at, at a national level of this uh, current mindset and humanity of how we are not related to everyone else, but we're alone. Future,
1: right? future or not future uh, pacing.
2: Uh, I didn't quite get your question.
1: Sorry, do you you feel like that's uh, a a mindset of uh, someone who's thinking future-based or past-based? Oh, uh,
2: I think he's definitely still living in the past, definitely. I think he's not seeing how to best progress in the future. But then again, I'm not in his head, so maybe there's some gambit going on there. I don't know. I would hope if he wins, (laughs) there's a gambit going on and he wins on on this – past-based vision and then implement something amazing. I'm cr- keeping my fingers crossed if that's the case. Um, but my bet is on he's living in the past.
1: That's what I'm thinking too. What do you think, Alex?
0: Do I think that Trump is living in the past? <laughs> really?
1: Yeah. Is that what
0: your question is? Hell no. I think yeah, he's past living past in the future. The future. I, think he's, I think he has a vision. And you know what's hilarious to me about Trump? It's hilarious! Is that he has done something that nobody else in American history but me did that's really brilliant. And yet he gives I, I away so much of, he's giving away so much of his power to his advisors that he's kind of forgotten who he is in his essence and what his real vision of America is. And he's left it behind. And if he had, instead of last night's speech, if he had said – a few years ago, here's what I did in cooperation with a Silicon Valley leader. And well, what, was uh, it? what, what I, did he
1: do? Tell us what he did.
0: I'm going to I'm going to save that for our show about the about my my policies and about president because it's directly relevant to all of that. And if he had that's said two shows from now. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Now. It's, it's, <laughs> it's yeah. It's sort of. He's Come not. On. He's not. He's actually burying his strongest card. It's like he's got. He's playing blackjack and he has this special deal where he has an ace up his sleeve and he can drop it in any time. And he forgot about it. And I find that absolutely stunning and amazing and fascinating. And I just think that he forgot to some extent who he is. And he's he's there's a sort of a persona or a shell around him that he's taken on as a media personality and that that's where he's inhabiting, but he forgot his essence and he forgot his core idea. And what's, and part of this is an experiment. Look, I'll admit this. I'm always running my own little uh, little IQ tests on people. And I'm always dropping hints <laughs> and puzzles and say, does anybody else know what I'm talking about? And I do give enough hints that Let's say roughly 50% of the time that I do these, one or more people is able to go, is it this? And, it, you know, there's, hey, there's 11,000 people and they have infinite guesses. So I'm really good at setting up the difficulty <laughs> so it's just enough that if people use their brains and they collaborate a little bit, they can answer the question. So this is one of those. And I want to see if any of the readers or anyone I know on Facebook can come up with this. And I look in vain – For anything like this in Hillary's career which I've I've read her uh, I've read HRC and I've read uh, Hillary's book her uh, you know which is except for the part about stuff being in Copenhagen it was kind of suffering to read it but I don't see anything in her career that's like this and in fact I don't see it in very many people but there is a way of looking at the United States that completely changes everything about how you look at it so yes I think that he's a man of the future and he's thinking about what it can be. And if you have the idea that you're going to be president and you're not a puppet of George Soros and globalists, I think what you go is, oh my God, we can make this place something spectacular that sets the standards for advancing civilization or we can totally screw it up and make it Rome. And the thing about Rome is that If there's anything that the United States is karmically linked to and is going to follow a trajectory similar to, it's Rome. I mean, my God, we are the the government with the longest continuous government in the the world today because of the Senate, because only one-third of the Senate turns over every two years. This is Guinness Book of World Records. And, you know, 240 years that we've been around, 240 years with a continuous government without having to have you know the government fall and be replaced that's amazing but it's called the senate and rome had its senate and in rome they had the goths the visigoths and the vandals come in they they destroyed what i call the aqueductus magnus you know the big aqueduct and then rome's population fell in what might have been as few as 3 years from over a million to under 30,000 and i've actually seen a projection that the number was over a million to under 8,000 and I think that something horrible could happen to the United States. And I think that something wonderful could happen. And I think that Trump is thinking in his own mind that he's been influenced by the Roman story. And he doesn't want the people he sees as the equivalent of the Goths and the Visigoths and the Vandals to come in and to, uh, to make us follow the path of Rome.
2: Mm. Now, What's
0: interesting like about this,
2: I, this conversation just now is that uh, – the perspective we can have on on the, the potential candidate or well, the candidates and the potential outcomes is entirely based on the amount of information available to us like being in Mexico and being on the outside and the, probably being inside the US, like the available information on what Trump could be thinking uh, and what's going on, it's just so much info, so confusing, sometimes conflicting that we can't easily draw the same conclusions that Alex is, is drawing. Well, well, I have, I, I I have one I, thing I think, that since you're I from I Mexico,
0: I, wanna, I want to... I want.
1: even from inside the U.S.
0: But I, you know what I think? I want to share one thing. I want to drop a bombshell because I want to give at least one uh, speaking truth to power because I know that somewhere, somehow, government people will look at this. And I just want to point a finger because President Obama met with the president of Mexico this morning as kind of a way of trying to steal Trump's thunder. And here's what I can tell you. And Luis knows that this is the case, but I actually spent quite a lot of money going and meeting with the Secretary of Agriculture and the Secretary of Energy of Mexico and giving them a way for Mexico to solve a lot of its problems. And here's what I can tell you about Mexico. Mexico really is Trying to export its poor. Now, Mexico defines poverty differently than we do in America. We define it as income in the United States. It's if you have less than $16,000 a year. However, Mexico defines it as people who don't have land. And there are 50,000 people hmm. out of about 120 million in Mexico who don't have land. So they want them to leave. Guess how they get them to leave? They have a monopoly, or they did until a few years ago, uh, at Pemex on oil and gas. And because natural gas is the way that 99% of the ammonia is built, they have a monopoly effectively on ammonia. Having a monopoly on ammonia gives you effectively a monopoly on fertilizer. And Mexico charges 25 to 40% more per ton of fertilizer than we charge in America. And what that does is it means that people are effectively arbitraging by crossing into the United States to work in agriculture to get access to market-priced fertilizer. And so I went to Mexico, and I said, so people can buy ammonia for $700 a ton in Illinois. They should be able to buy that for less in Mexico. What if you could sell it for $300 a ton by making it from air, water, and sunshine? And they went, wow, that's amazing. So here's the thing. All, what, I, what I don't like about Donald Trump's solutions, I like his goals, but I don't like his, his, his means. What he wants is to stop illegal immigration. But the way to do it is not necessarily to build a wall, but to go and point out using his supposedly vastly superior knowledge of business – that Mexico needs to reduce the price of fertilizer and that scientists from the U.S. and Mexico can team up together and help on Mexico to produce cheaper fertilizer. That's this what I actually... Thinking. What's that? This is exactly the system's thinking that is necessary. Like Right. But here's the thing I want to point out. I took this to Secretary of Energy Coldwell. And I took this to Enrique Martinez Martinez, who has since been replaced, and I gave them the plan, and I offered to do it for them for free, and they didn't say yes, and they didn't say no. They just didn't do anything. So I would just say that when people want to say that Trump is racist, I want to say, well. They, this is because he ha- that, that Mexico is kind of creating a scenario by kicking back and pretending that it doesn't know how to make che- fertilizer cheaper. Therefore, it screws the poor. Therefore, they have to go to America. And this is what's wrong with the political dialogue of America is that we don't have conversations where people give solutions that are better. So I have invested hundreds of thousands of dollars of my own personal money to go to Mexico to present the solution that would solve the problem of illegal immigration with one exception. The other problem with illegal immigration from Mexico is that we're pretending that there isn't a deal between a certain number of government agencies, including the municipal government of Chicago and the Sinaloa cartel to send Children as mules across the border, like why are there all these unaccompanied minors well they 're carrying drugs in many cases because we 're not going to arrest the children. so, as we have these these situations, um, and this is part of what I want the show to do, is I want to say that we keep on talking about binary solutions, like well, you have to vote for Hillary um, um, but she 's a crook, or you have to vote for Donald Trump or he 's a racist. That is such an, a stupid conversation that we could have what I want this show to be is something where we talk about better solutions and then we find some way to hold people accountable. Like I really want to know why Secretary Coldwell and the Secretary of Agriculture didn't follow through on these ideas. That's what I'd like.
1: Wow. Um, hmm. I love it. A lot to take in um, so the the last the, the last piece that I wanted to say um, and I, I wanted to have a little more time to talk about it, but we don't. Um, is that the reason that I was saying that that Donald Trump is not a future is is not where we're going as a country, as a culture into the future, is because um, so there's there there are many technologies or uh, maybe not technology maybe that's not the right word um, structures that 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 talk about. Uh, the evolution, right? Um, one of these is, uh, I, I know you know about this, Alex, is the the Claire Graves model, spiral, spiral dynamics, right? And so if you look at spiral dynamics, the U.S. is somewhere, um, and I, I don't have time to explain this right now, but it's either a blue, um, which is ruling, like ruling and... Um, uh, It's good versus evil, right, or red, which is impulsive self. So red is below blue um, as a step back, which is impulsive self aligning with power. Um, uh, A lot of the the pitfalls of of red is anxiety, depression, phobias, excessive guilt, um, cannot build stable nations, all that stuff, right? We've got a lot of that going on in the U.S. right now, right? So the evolution would be to uh, an orange level, which would be, Um, the achiever self. And and so Trump's got a lot of this too. He does. Um, And, uh, and that's the the capitalistic democracy, right? So we've had a lot of that too. Now the next level, green would look like, like, so this would be the evolution. This would be moving forward would be the sensitive self. This is social democracies. Um, It's informational, um, There's the quest is for affectionate relations, right? Dialogue, consensus. Um, The method is appreciating diverse views, listening. Um, Now there's a lot of uh, pitfalls like inauthenticity. Now that is, that is what kind of freaks me out about even the people that are talking about that. So like a, a much more green uh, level solution green in terms of, of the spiral dynamics would look like what Bernie's doing right, um, and I have a hard time trusting the authenticity of it. Um, and anyway, we don't have a lot of time to go, in, go into this, but what we're creating in Rise is even is a level or two above green, which would be yellow and then uh, light blue, which is or turquoise, which is the holistic self. And um, people can only understand one or two levels of consciousness above where they're at. Right. And so this is where my hope is that people move one or two levels up in consciousness rather than down in consciousness. And and what happened, you know, in our healing modality, explosive sexual healing, we do a lot of work with transforming people's, um, personalities, transforming their uh, their their identities, their old selves, and becoming new selves. And when they get when they get close to dying to their old identity and up-leveling and moving into their future self, it requires the death of the identity, and that is the scariest thing on the planet. So as soon as as soon as they get close to that death, they tend to revert back into old safety habits and the old safety paradigms, and. Um, I, and, and that feels a lot like what the U.S. is doing right now is reverting back into old safety paradigms um, and closing off instead of instead of opening up. Now, there are security measures that I believe that do need to be taken care of, um, that do need to be handled. And, um, I mean, if you look at a, at a country like Costa Rica, who doesn't have a military and doesn't have – uh, terrorism or anything like that. You, you want to ask yourself why, <laughs> why Costa Rica, right? Why is this such a beautiful, peaceful country to live in? And anyway, we can talk more about this on, a, on another show. Uh, we're over our time. Um, Luis, thank you, brother, for being on the show. Um, how, can, how can people get a hold of you and how can people find your book? I, I do have the links on the website, but is there any last thing you'd like to say to people?
2: Oh, thank you very much for, for having me. And uh, yeah, I can be reached at Luis at spora.mx. Spora is S-P-O-R-A-H. And uh, I can also be reached at the website LuisMartindelcampo.net. And you can get Mexico 2034 in Amazon. It's in Spanish and English, uh, in ebook form, Beautiful. so you can read it on your Kindle or on your cell phone wherever you go
0: are are we going it. to awesome. uh are we still on the air? Are there people still able to listen to us or hear the recording?
1: yep yep
0: okay good We're so recording. I wanted to announce a challenge that was inspired by Luis uh so take a bow Luis. Awesome. Well, uh, Thank you. you posted you took what I wrote and you translated it into Spanish, and you had people respond in Spanish and so what I wanted to do was to show you respect, and Ben wanted to also join me in showing you respect. And for us to do what we've both wanted to do, and we needed to now make, put a, uh, what is it, to burn our ships behind us? Um, <laughs> yeah. Burn the and boats. So what we commit to is six months from today, we will launch a parallel show in Spanish. So we will both be speaking Spanish, have Spanish-speaking guests on, and that way we can uh, show respect to people who are in Costa Rica and all the other countries uh, that speak Spanish, including Wait, the United did you States. You
1: say, did you say we're going to launch a parallel show? I thought we were going to do <laughs> a Spanish episode. I didn't realize you oh, to. Oh, I thought we were going to do a Spanish show. We, <laughs>
0: we began with
1: the Vulcan mind meld, and it's all falling apart.
0: <laughs> sure, I'm not going to learn Spanish just to do one show. Where's the ROI in that?
2: <laughs> uh, also, consider this. Spanish uh, knowing is Spanish is awesome, is
1: awesome and important.
2: Um It's one of the most used languages in the world. So it will be...
0: Yeah, and and I happen to live
1: in Costa Rica. Yeah. Delicious. All right, Alex. Yeah, I mean, you're surrounded by people
0: who... who, Majority of people who speak Spanish, so you have a big advantage. Then again, I live in L.A., so there's probably more Spanish speakers around me
1: than around you. Yeah, that that, that may be true. Um, And I I think they just probably know more English. um, So you don't even know they know Spanish. Uh, or you don't have to think about speaking Spanish. But anyway, um, to wrap things up, I also want to announce it uh, in six months in January, we are going to be having a the Futurist Summit. We're going to have a Futurist Summit in Costa Rica at the Rise property, which we'll be talking about soon. Um, and Alex and I are also leading a seven-day retreat uh, called the Futurist Retreat, um, Helping people understand the different dimensions of consciousness and reality creation, um, we'll be spending one day on each dimension, from first dimension to seventh dimension, and uh, we'll be releasing more info about that. It's, yeah, it's going to be pretty good. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for uh, this first episode. It was amazing. Well, tell us, uh, tell our, here.
0: tell our listeners the dates. Ben, what are the dates of the the futurist summit uh, the, and uh, the,
1: the tentative dates right now of the, uh, um, the actual retreat is the 13th, and then we just decided that we want uh, January 13th, uh, 2017. And uh, then we decided we wanted to do the Futurist Summit um, two and a half days before that retreat, um, or four, two and a half days leading into that retreat. So um, if – if Yeah, all goes so basically on the metal, 11th
0: of January – 2017, we'll be having the Futurist Summit. We invite all of our listeners to come and make friends and meet us face-to-face. And then if you'd like to spend more time with Ben and with me, uh, please stay for our summit. There's an unlimited number of people who can come to the Futurist Summit. There will be a limit uh, on the number of people who can come to the the workshop, the one-week workshop. I have one other announcement. Um, On 9-11, 9-11 will fall on a Sunday, and I'm going to be doing a workshop with my friend, artist Taylor Bond, that will be uh, part of our series we've done called Creating an Abstract Masterpiece. And the first one was focusing on how to make an abstract masterpiece like Jackson Pollock um, and Gerhard Richter, whose paintings sell for tens of millions. Um, The second one was painting like Hans Hofmann. The third one was Inspirations from Nature. And this one will be, because it's 9-11, on how to make an abstract painting using Islamic styles because I thought it would be kind of interesting on this day when everybody is thinking about the clash of civilizations between Islam and the West to have one little bit of collaboration and peace and say, Okay, can we make paintings in Islamic style on this day? I think it's it's could be challenging but I think it can be rewarding. So that's what I thank you
1: so much. Uh nice. on, so, and, uh, and, and on the 9th, the 9th is a Friday, and we're going to be doing the Future of Islam show.
0: Yes, the Future of Islam show will be the September, um, September 9th, 9-9. Nine, nine. Yes, um, so Ooh, the show, ah. looking forward to giving kind of an overview, because sometimes when I see shows, they say, this season on, in the name of the show. <laughs> this show, please keep, uh, please keep listening. We're going to have the Future of Money Uh, Talking about cryptocurrencies, we're going to have several shows that relate to the future of food, the future of food growing with uh, John Sutton, who sources food from all over the world, and the future of of food preparation with Lynette Kushma, who is the founder of Natural Machines that makes a 3D food printer. And we're going to have the future of wealth, the future of power, the future of sex, uh, the future of exercise, the future of health, the future of fitness. So there's a lot of shows. The future you, of
1: transformation. I, the, the, the future <laughs> of addiction. Yeah.
0: Yes, right. So if you uh, here's my, my guarantee: if you stick with Ben and with me, and you listen to this show, and you put in an hour and a half a week for the next year, we promise you that you will be so informed and so optimistic about the future that it will transform your happiness and your ability to thrive in the future. I also want to say that I am very much into error correction, and I realized something earlier today that I said was wrong. So I want to, I, I want to make sure that you know that if I get something wrong, um, I'll find it myself, and I challenge you – to find my errors and point them out to me before I figure them out myself and point them out to myself. That's your challenge. And I said that the average life expectancy in the U S was 68 years and nine and a half months. It's actually 78 years, nine and a half months, which is a little bit below the OECD average of 80.1 years. So that's it for me. Ben, uh, I give you the last word.
1: Awesome. I love you. I love you both. Thanks for being on the show. Everybody listening. Thank you so much we listening to this inaugural episode. I feel like we just broke the champagne bottle on the boat, and it was a good one. It was a good bottle. Um, I love you guys, and uh, I'll talk to you next week.
2: Thank you very much. Love you too, Bye,
1: and ciao. Oh.
0: Hasta luego. Bye-bye.